Let's open up our Bibles tonight to Psalm chapter 38 as we cover a, a couple of chapters that really have to deal with God disciplining uh, David, especially in chapter 38, we're going to see that uh, as prevalent, uh, but in both chapters is something that we're going to see, and, and it's a great lesson for us all, you know, we experience God's discipline from time to time, that is if we're God's children, you know, you, you go through hard times, and I don't know if you ever stop to evaluate your life, to really take a long look in the mirror, and, and really ask God, is, does any of this have to do with you wanting to work in my life? Are, are there areas that maybe I don't see, Lord, that you see that, Lord, need to change? And so all that is part of the discipline process. You know, if we're God's children, we're going to experience those days of discipline. And the question is, when we're there, when we're there in those difficult times, the question is, will we learn from God Will we return to God? Will we choose to focus on Him? You know, in this psalm right here, we're going to see three things. Number one, in verses 1 through 10, we're going to see that we can focus on ourselves and bask in the painfulness. Or if we choose, we're going to see in verses 11 through 12 that we can focus on others and bask in our loneliness. But then we'll see uh, in the end of the chapter, in verses 13 through 22, that if we choose, we can focus on God and bask in His forgiveness. And the last one is definitely the best one. I've, I've told you guys this many times, you know, life has a way, it's just so simple, man. If you focus on yourself, you're going to be uh, depressed. If you focus on your circumstances and the world, you're going to be distressed. But if you focus on Jesus then you're going to be blessed. And we kind of see that today. Uh, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 38, uh, we can focus on ourselves and bask in sin's painfulness. We read here in verse 1 that it's the psalm of David to, to bring to remembrance. And so, in other words, this is written to get God's attention. David's asking God to remember him. Lord, I'm going through some hard times. Uh, I, I was just wanting to make sure that you don't forget that I'm here, you know. And so this is kind of his way of wanting to get God's attention. Lord, do you see me? Lord, do you remember me? And then he goes on and he says, oh, Lord, in, in verse 1, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. And here we see in, in verse 1 that David is praying, you know, that God would not discipline him in anger. You know, other translations, they use the word rage. And we're going to see, man, he's going through some very, very, very difficult times. You know, and that's actually a good prayer, uh, and it's also a good practice. Uh, some of you guys, you get to discipline your children. Whatever you do, never do that in anger. Never do it in rage. I mean, sometimes we get angry because sin makes us angry, but make sure that you don't discipline them in that anger. 
Because the Bible says, uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And a lot of times what ends up happening is our kids, unfortunately, they suffer as a result of parents who have disciplined their children in anger rather than love. And then what ends up happening is the child then begins to misbehave, and then we do it again, then they misbehave, we do it again, and it's a vicious cycle. You see, it can only be healed. A heart, a broken person can only be healed by love. It's important for us to understand that. And that's why, you know, David here praying, Lord, don't, you know, discipline me in in your rage, in your anger, in your wrath. Lord, don't punish me with that, you know, that type of of frame of mind, you know, is, is obviously a good prayer to pray, but it's a very important practice for us as parents as well. Now, of course, we know God would never chasten his children uh, unless it was, you know, uh, based on, on love. You know, if you want to, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. It's such an important passage. I know some of you know this, and there might be some of you here, however, who, who don't know this. And in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the author writes in verse 5 and uh, you know, because the, the, the Jews there, the, the Christians, they were going through some difficult times, you know. And, and so the writer to Hebrews writes to encourage them and, and just to remind them that God's working in their life. He says, and have you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and and not sons. And furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, and, and I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord. I know one thing for sure is I want to grow. I want to know Him. I want to be like Him. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe you as a child or maybe you with your children, you discipline them, but they despise your discipline. They despise your chastening. It doesn't do anything to them but harden their hearts because they're not open to what you're trying to do. You're trying to modify them, modify their behavior, build character into them. You want to discipline them in in one sense for life. And, And we see that with kids, but a lot of times we don't take it to heart for ourselves. You know, God wants to make us like Him. Don't despise God's chastening, and that means to think little of it. And there you are, you're in the middle of, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, and, and, and you're just like shrugging your shoulders, and, you know, you're not really saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? What, 
do I need to get out of this, you know? I mean, he, he just chastens us, it says right here, because we're his children, and, and he loves us. If he didn't chasten you, if he didn't convict you, if he didn't rebuke you, if he didn't exhort you, it would be because you weren't his kid. But you are his son, and you are his daughter, and he will deal with us, right? It's for our best. We know the pain has a purpose. And what it is, is it's making us holy. It's making him like him. And I don't know about you, but that is the one thing I want more than anything else in the whole wide world. What, what would you like to, to have, Manny, you know, like a you know, mega church or maybe meet, reach the millions? And yeah, you know, I would kind of like to reach a lot of people or, you know, something to do with your kids or whatever it is, you know, they're the ones that we love the most. And, you know, you start thinking of other things, you know, maybe a, a nice yellow Camaro or something. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is that you're thinking. I would like to get something like that. No, no, no. The one thing I want more than anything else in the whole wide world is I want to be like Christ. And so as I'm going through the chastening, and that could be something that's really obvious to us. We know, you know, we're, we're going through it. It could be something that, you know, maybe if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're being chastened because you're not receiving that reward that He wanted to give you. But you don't even think about it. But when you do, then God begins to meddle with the middle and you're not despising the chastening. And the next thing you know, you're finally growing again. You know, I told you guys that when I was 12 years old, I was this tall. For whatever reason, I stopped growing. (laughs) You don't want to do that as Christians, okay? So here's David, and he's going through chastening, and he's saying, Lord, don't chasten me out of anger. Lord, uh, chasten me out of love. And that's exactly what's going on in this psalm. You know, let me share with you that God's discipline usually begins verbally, right, with words of warning. You know, but if we don't regard the rebukes of life, then it escalates into things that happen, you know. And uh, I don't know all the details on that, but sometimes it's, you know, physical things that happen to our bodies or circumstantial things. I remember one guy, he was not going to church the way that he should. You know, instead of going to church, he would go skiing all the time. And so one day he, you know, on a, uh, supposed to be at church, he ends up skiing and he crashes into a, a, I don't know, a tree trunk or whatever. He didn't, I guess he went off the road and, man, just thrashed his, his leg, just completely thrashed it. And he knew It was God who was chastening him. And so he changed. And that's the purpose of the chastening. You know, it begins with words of warning. It's usually verbal. Then it becomes physical. Then it becomes circumstantial, right? It escalates. And so I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, if we don't listen to the words of his heart, then we're going to have to feel the weight of his hand. And that's kind of what we see here, don't we? In verse 3, it says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Now, one thing I want to make sure that we understand as healthy Christians is that not all tough times are, are, are circumstantial suffering is due to sin. You guys know that, right? As a matter of fact, sometimes we suffer 
Not because we're doing wrong, but because we're doing right. But the Lord will show you. Sometimes it is because there's something that God wants to change in your life. Are you open? Are you listening? The question is, are you, are you just saying, Lord, just examine me, show me. I don't know about you, but for me, I always feel like there's something God's wanting to change in me. I always feel like that. You know, I always feel like there's something, even if I go in a situation and I feel like, you know, I'm, you know, whatever, 95% right, there's still that 5% that's getting to me, that's bugging me, and that God is wanting to change. It's kind of like if you're a football team, basketball team, whatever, you're playing, and let's just say you lose, you know, it's easy to go to the drawing board and say, okay, boom, 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 we've got to deal with that, you know, but even sometimes when you win, there's still areas of your life that God is changing. Just think what would happen if everyone in this room listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit who said, I want you to do this. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to... And I've been bugging you guys. Forgive me if I sound like a broken record, but you husbands, you should be praying with your wife every single day. Why wouldn't you? Well, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Well, you know, I think that's pretty like an obvious one. Pray with them. I mean, I can't think of anything more wonderful to do as a husband, as a man who's married. And if your husband doesn't want to do it, then wife, you can nudge him a little bit. Don't give him a black eye, but just say, hey, sweetheart, you know, let's pray. I don't know. I don't know what God wants to change. Maybe some of you here, man, you haven't been in the word. You haven't been in prayer. You know, I mean, he's drawing you to him. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's time for you to get out of the pew. You've been a pew potato for long enough. It's time to serve. Well, I don't have time. Well, what do you do with the 173 hours that you have extra? I watch television. Really? Well, one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. I don't know. The Lord will show you. But as we're going through things, the Lord says, this is what I'm dealing with in your life. And we need to make sure, you know, sometimes it is because of sin. Such was the case of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, if you guys remember, he had been in that condition. Think about it, lame. He couldn't walk for 38 years. And then Jesus heals him in John chapter 5. But then afterwards, Jesus warned him. And he said in verse 14, that, that he, he said, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. So what's God trying to do? He's, he's trying to change him. It's a heavy warning. And that's definitely one of the purposes, I, I think, even of this psalm that we're looking at here. You know, David is suffering because of his sin. We read that there at the end of verse 3. He says, because of my sin, and notice now in verse 4, he says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. And, and one of the things that's so cool about this psalm is that David, unlike Saul, acknowledges his sin, Right? He says there straight out in verse 3, because of my sin. He identifies his iniquities in verse 4. He identifies his foolishness in verse 5. You know, it, it's sad and it's just heartbreaking sometimes when, 
you know, people, you know, they, they, they're, 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 they're not really doing the right thing. And then maybe you talk to them about it and all they do is rationalize it. All they do is justify it. No, man, just plead guilty. <laughs> you know, if you plead guilty, you'll be washed and you'll walk away innocent. If you hold on, however, with a sliver of justification and rationalization, and the only reason I sin is because you did that. No, um, we don't have an excuse to sin. Ever. Ever. Right? And so what we see right here is that justification and rationalization is an indication that we still have some hardness of heart and, and clogging of the arteries and it gets in the way of God's word every single time. Listen, I'm trying to tell you, some of you here, you know, and maybe you might have to share this word with someone else, man, that unless you're broken, you will lose. You've got to be crucified on the cross. You know, in, in verse 6, David says, I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. You know, and I don't know what David was going through, but I do know that it wasn't an isolated disease. It was a collection of physical and emotional disorders that produced terrible pain. His whole body was sick. He lost his health. He was exhausted, crushed, broken, and in turmoil of heart. One translation said he groaned loudly because of the anxiety that he felt. And so he's going through some heavy, heavy things. And I know this sounds weird, okay, but I'm just going to talk with you guys for a second here. When you get sick, you know, when you get sick, whatever it might be, do you ever, like, ask the Lord, is there sin in my life? You know, I'll share it with you guys, and I'm going to open up, and you can't tell anybody this, okay? So stop the live stream for just a second. I'm just joking. You know, um, a while back, I got, and I told you guys, I got this plantar fasciitis or whatever it's called. I forgot the name of it, man, but it messed up my foot, right? And so I was telling you guys that the reason my foot got messed up is because I bought some shoes in Cambodia, and they're just not good shoes. And it's true, they're, they're not. They're just flat, falling apart shoes, but I ran in them anyways, right? But then what ended up happening is this, as I was listening to the Lord, and I don't know if you guys are going to believe me on this, but... You know, this is what's so cool about having a personal relationship with God. What had happened was I had run, I don't know, three miles, and I posted something on Facebook, and I don't know why I posted it. I don't know, what was I, bragging? I did three miles in, you know, two minutes? I don't know, what was it? What? I wanted them to see me sweaty? I mean, I don't know, I, I thought about it. And then the Lord said, that's why. You don't need to do that. You know, this is just something between me and my God. You know, when it comes to Facebook, for the most part, I like posting things about my family, and, and I like posting things about the Lord, but I don't need to post that. And, and the Lord just showed me, that's why your foot got messed up. And I'm not going to do that again. So if you want to know how far I ran, you can ask me. But I don't know. I mean, to me, that's just something between me and the Lord. 
at any time. And I'm not saying, again, we're not one of those health, wealth, and prosperity churches. You know, we're not one of those that says that everything's got to line up, you know, the hunky-dory life, man, it's a, it's a rose garden. But when things do go bad, when things do go south, when whatever it is, whatever the, the calamity is, what I think we should at least do is check our hearts before God and say, Lord, is there something that you're trying to do inside of me? Because when that master gets that chisel and he starts working away at this person right here, that you know, marble, he's sculpting me into the image of Christ, it's going to hurt. But that's okay because like we're talking about in the very beginning, that's all I want. That's what I long for more than anything else. Lord, I want to be like you and I want to bring you glory. And here's David and he's, you know, he's blown it. He's in sin. We don't know exactly what he was. And that's another uh, uh, enlightening, encouraging truth as well. You know, because let's just say you're here and you have blown it. You know, don't let the enemy condemn you with that. We all have. I'm not making light of it. May God change us. But even David blew it. In Acts 13.22, he's identified as a man after God's own heart. He's a sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the one that, that slayed Goliath. I mean, he was just an amazing man. Even he blew it. And so it's so cool how you know, we can identify with him and we can be encouraged to know that God, we're going to see it as we go through our study, He still has a future for us. Psalm 38, in verse 9, David prays, Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. And, and this is still David thinking of himself. Okay, it's still him thinking of himself. God knows, you know, what I want. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before you, uh, but he also knows, you know, what we need. I mean, you look at the next verse, he talks about his heart pounding fast. He talks about the fact that he's not able to see very well. He's still caught up in his own predicament, in his own pain. And again, I don't want to take away from that, belittle the beat of his heart or the blindness of his eyes. But it's just not good to focus on ourselves and bask in sin's painfulness. You know, it brings us to the second point of the psalm. That, you know, we can focus on ourselves and bask in the pain we can also focus on others and bask in sin's loneliness. Look at verse 11. It says, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and, and my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. You know, and, and David's enemies were, were trying to capitalize on the situation we read right here to deceive him, to harm him, even in their attempt to kill him. And let me tell you something, man. The enemy always does that. He always goes for the jugular. And, and you know, you're looking at, at that, and, and that's to be expected. But even here in the psalm, it's a little even more of a challenge 
because of the fact that, you know, you expect that from your enemies, but not your loved ones. And here what ends up happening is they were treating him like a leper. And so, you, you know, you got your enemies that are trying to take you down. Maybe you're a little, you know, you're afraid for us right here. We, you know, most of us here, we probably don't have, you know, someone who's after us. But, you know, we got some that, that don't like us. And we've got the devil and his demons who are always trying to take us down and capitalize on things and lie to us and deceive us. But then it, gets, it can get really hard. And I think everyone has to go through this at least you know, uh, one time in their life where it seems like you're all alone. And the only one you have is God. But you guys remember, you've heard that saying, sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know, it's so cool, Sammy sang that song today, and I didn't tell him, you know, that I love that, that, that last song that he sang, and i just been memorizing those words and singing it to the Lord in my quiet time every single morning and praying that prayer, and I will put my trust in you alone, just you, Lord, no one else. I thank God for my wife and my kids and my, my friends and just all the people that I'm so blessed to have in my life. But I put my trust in you alone. Because I know that if my trust is in him alone, then I won't be shaken. He will always be there for me. He will always have the right words to say, whether it's corrective love or, or comforting love. He will always provide the strength and then the way out from every temptation. I thank God for men, but the, the best of men are men at best. And so here's this psalm, and, and David, you know, I think in one sense he's focusing on, on the pain and then in another sex, he's focusing on people. But then at the end, he begins to come around. And he begins to focus on the Lord. Look at, at verse 13. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am I'm like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope. There it is. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves uh, against me. And, you know, as the psalm closes, rather than directing his voice to himself or, you know, addressing his enemies, he's being quiet, he's not saying anything, until eventually what he does is he directs his voice to God. You know, verse 15 is so powerful right here. And, and, and you know, you guys just got to have that hope. You know, you got to have that hope. You know, even a person with a terminal illness, they have the hope of heaven. I mean, the enemy cannot take our hope away. There is a certain certainty about a beautiful future for every single one of God's children. Hope. 
is so huge. I've told you guys before, we can live weeks without food. We can live days without water. We can live minutes without oxygen. But we can't live a second without hope. And maybe you're here today. There might be someone here today or maybe watching, you know, online. And, and you've got that thought and the enemy's put that thought. You know, why even go on? Why continue to live? Why continue to serve the Lord? You know, because the enemy, one of his, his main weapons is trying to rob us of the hope that we have. No, you still have a future and a hope. You do. It's so important that we maintain that. David here eventually comes to the place where he says, I'm not giving up. Even though I've fallen, he says, and we're going to see this, and, I'm, and I feel like I'm ready to fall again. I believe. I believe in God's amazing grace to hear me, to hear my prayer, to wash away my sins. Because I acknowledge them and I confess them and I turn from them and I forsake them. I pray that everyone here would know that God still has a future for you. And whatever you do, do not ever let go of that rope of hope that God has for all of us. Remember that passage in Hebrews 6 and verse 19? It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Isn't that cool? An anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into the presence behind the veil. I mean, that hope, it keeps us not just, you know, kind of lingering on the, on, the, on the edges there of some superficial relationship with God. No, that hope keeps us, man, in the holiest of holies. And David here is praying by faith, not, not by feelings. He says in verse 17, For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. I love that. By my enemies are vigorous and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good. They are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord my salvation. You know, in looking at this psalm, and in, in all the psalms, we've kind of been seeing one thing definitely is recurring over and over again, and that is the power of prayer. The power of praise. And, you know, um, remember Corey Ten Boone? She said, how's your prayer life? Is your prayer life... Uh, like a, what's that, a spare tire or a steering wheel? A spare tire, you only use it when, you know, you got a flat. <laughs> Everyone, when, you're in, when you're in hot water, you know, and if that's the only time you use it, okay, at least you're using it. But man, it should be like your steering wheel, not the last thing you do, the first thing you do. And, and you're just, I just want to encourage you how important it is Make sure you have that. And I've been telling you guys, you know, pray with your spouse if you're married. If you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, there's no reason that you shouldn't be praying with them every day as well. 
but, but there's nothing like you praying with the Lord. Just you and it, you have your quiet time with God as well. You know, right here, David's honest about how he feels and he's also genuine in his repentance. You know, most of us are usually anguished over our pain, but here we see David's anguish over his sin. And looking at this, it's cool how David looks up. And I don't know if you noticed those three things that David prays there in the end. Look again, he says in verse 21, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And so that's kind of cool. The three things that David prays there in the end is number one, God, be with me. Don't forsake me. God, God be with me. Number two, God, be near me. God, I, I know you'll, you're, you know, you're with me, but are you near me? And then number three, God, would you help me? Would you help me? And it's just so cool because now we can look at the life of David because it's all done and we can all say together and acknowledge the fact that God did. He did help him. And if you're here tonight, he wants to help you if you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you're going through difficulties. You know, but you got to cry out. We didn't get a chance to do the next psalm, but the next psalm, it talks about, I have my little outline, you know, the, the, the different things, the, the time and the tears. And there's something about crying out, weeping before the Lord, praying with urgency and passion. And when we do, how God meets us there. And so uh, tonight, um, I pray, you guys, that you know maybe, like I said, you're going through hard times because you've done something that, that's wrong and you need to change. And so let's lay it down. How long are you going to wait before you start loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? How long are you going to stop making excuses and saying, well, I can't do it? Why would God ask you to do something you can't do? You can, by the power of the Holy Spirit. How long, you know, wives, are you going to wait, you know, before you let your gentleness and submission and your inner beauty be the one thing that encourages your husband? You know, I mean, whatever the case may be, whatever God's calling us to, maybe you're struggling with, you know, things hurts people have come against you you know I, I don't know whatever it is it doesn't matter what it is you know it's the lord who gives us the victory so why don't we have sammy come up and as we close in one last song i just want to encourage you guys tonight man like i started in the beginning you know do everything you can to, to draw near to god you know, go forward in your relationship with Him. As you draw near to God, understand His promise. And He never breaks a promise. He's not a liar. He's not like us in any way, shape, or form. If you draw near to God, then He will draw near to you. And He'll strengthen you. And you're going to start seeing results. You're going to start seeing things begin to change in your life. 
And so I pray, man, we would be open to the Lord.